Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advice Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Haller. And all right, guys, I have two of my podcast heroes on the show today. These guys are absolutely killing it. I, I love you guys. It just so just kind of to show one of the reasons why you guys are my personal hero. One, I think your content is great. Number two, you're putting up numbers. I mean, numbers as in content. How many episodes do you guys have in the can right now? Uh, just published today, 14. Yeah, today was 406. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 414, yeah. 14, yeah. Uh, and you are ranked by Chartable in the top 400 business podcasts in North America. Okay, so my guest today. So it's David and John. Okay, so these guys run the Queer Money Podcast. And if you have not listened to it, you need to. You need to subscribe to it. As a podcaster and as somebody who, obviously, if you're listening to this, you consume podcasts, you want good content, real content, valuable content that actually you can emulate the Queer Money Podcast. It's where you need to go. We'll put links in the show notes. So, guys, hey, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having us. That's Our check must have gotten to you in time. That was <laughs> such a kind intro. No, I totally want one of those shirts, though. We have to talk about that afterwards. I mean, our swag game is strong. Okay, so so here's the thing, guys. You guys made an investment in this early, right? I mean, 400 episodes, that's a, that's a lot of time into podcasting. Why in God's name did you guys decide to start your show? Sure. So this is John. Suddenly, we're in our eighth year of podcasting. Is that right? Yes. This month that uh, we're recording in June, we crossed into our eighth calendar year. of, of... And we haven't aged a day. <laughs> but so we got into, so David and I had our, our original career was in finance. We both worked for Charles Schwab, American Century, different companies, InvestNet, Great West. And our backstory is, is that despite all of that theoretical knowledge, uh, we got into $51,000 of credit card debt and we climbed out of that. And towards the end of climbing out of that, we decided we wanted to use our personal and professional experience to help other people with their finances. And originally that was focused on helping people get out of debt. And we published a book and we launched a blog called debtfreeguys.com. But then about a year after we did that, we went to our first personal finance conference called FinCon. And it was 2015 in Charlotte. And there were about 900 or 1,000 so personal finance creators and media people. And we realized there that there were all these different demographics, people talking to all different demographics. You know, you had your military bloggers, your your family bloggers, your mommy bloggers, your Christian bloggers, all sorts of stuff, all trying to help their particular demographic in their own unique way. And we realized, and several people told us while we were there as well, that we were the only out gay people at that conference that year. And people were saying, well, nobody's helping your community. Maybe you guys should fill that niche. And so we went back home and we thought about it and we're like, you know what? Nobody is talking to our community and we're as gay as they come. And so maybe we should be the people that try to help our community. And so it was about six months or so after after the conference that we launched our first iteration of the Queer Money podcast, which I don't know if anyone's even going to know what this platform is. But way back in the day, there was a platform called Blab where multiple people could communicate and talk about different topics at different times. And you could go in and out of rooms. It was almost like chat rooms, but via video. 
Well, the technology was horrible when it went defunct. And that was our first iteration. And we thought like, this wasn't really working. And just about when we thought we were going to cancel it, we got a couple signs from the universe saying, hey, maybe you should continue this. And that's when we kind of officially launched it off as a, a, a actual true podcast. Well, let's talk about that process, right? Because I think a lot of people, I don't really have a lot of podcasters on the show. And we're generally talking about marketing and influence and unapologetically being yourself, which are very strong messages that we try to portray in our community. By the way, you guys check every one of those freaking boxes. So let's just talk about the podcast itself. How did it begin? Where did you find out how to do it? How did you decide on the equipment and the frequency and the show notes? And let's talk about that. Failure. Fail forward. So to to be honest, I think that you know we're talking eight years ago. Podcasts have become much more common today. I think closer to fifty to sixty percent of folks say that they've listened to at least one episode of a podcast. But back then, we were talking about maybe fifteen to twenty percent of people. There just wasn't a lot of content out there on how to start a podcast, the production process, what you need to do. We kind of talked to a couple of acquaintances of ours in the personal finance space who had podcasts and we saw what they were doing. We listened to some podcasts and we said, okay, let's pretend that we can do this and see how it goes. And as John mentioned, we we failed in the beginning with, with the actual video portion of it. But then what we did is we decided, okay, let's let's truly make this a real podcast rather than the Blab platform. Let's make this a, a real podcast. And so I did go out and do a little research about what does it take to get your podcast on Apple? What kind of platforms should you be using? And at the time, one of the easiest platforms was SoundCloud. And so mm-hmm. I started to basically, we would record a video using... We were using Skype and a platform called Ecamm Live. Uh, Both of those. That's where we started, man. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) And so we kind of figured out a way to get not only the video, but the audio from the episode. And I would basically download that. I would throw it into iMovie on the Mac, and I would use my very minimal skills on iMovie and then I would separate it out into a video track and an audio track and we would throw that on SoundCloud and we ended up well I think we ended up doing episodes with SoundCloud all the way through maybe the middle of 2019 then we switched over to an actual true podcasting platform at that time it was Libsyn we've moved on since then to another one And we use Blueberry. So Blueberry is the syndication platform that we use for all of our clients just because we've found that their user interface is much easier to deal with. And we have a lot of control from a compliance standpoint on the back end as the producers. Like we can turn things off, which compliance departments really like. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So 400 and some odd episodes. And what have you guys learned from your podcast? Oh, God, that's probably one of the two or three big reasons why we've continued the podcast, because we continue to create content and also for different medias to help the queer community out with its finances. But we didn't realize how narrow our perspective of what people were going through was until we launched the podcast. So not only have we learned more about different products and services in finance, 
but we've also learned more about what it's like to be a transgender woman of color and trying to open a bank account or what it's like to be, we had a whole episode where we interviewed several lesbians on how finance is different for lesbian women. So it's taught us so much about our own community. And I, that's, I think, one of the reasons. Because then when we somebody asks us to write an article for them, for like American Express or Capital One or whatever, we kind of have more of a 360 perspective of what the community is going through, as opposed to just this like straight, or I'm sorry, gay, white, male perspective. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that that has taught us about podcasting is to listen to and understand your audience. And there's a couple of ways that we've done that. We've looked, we've, we've watched responses and engagement on social media, and we've watched downloads of the episodes. We know what kind of topics are of interest to our audience. And, and granted, one of the nice things we do get from podcast platforms is we do get demographic information. And we have done our own surveys of our email list that we have of folks who are subscribed to the podcast and we send emails to. That has taught us to understand what it is that our audience wants more of. For example, the part of the reason why we are we have so many episodes is that last year we decided to start doing a bonus episode, and the bonus episode really is just a shortened another version of our podcast, but they carry it carries a theme. And last year we started with the theme of LGBT money topics specific to a survey that we did with Motley Fool in a surveying 2000, over 2,000 LGBT individuals. This year we switched that up and we are now doing a series around the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly cities in every single state. All 50 of them. And so basically what we've listened to our audience and our audience is telling us, we want to know where our safe places to live. We want to know where affordable places are. Yeah, granted, we'd all love to live in Chicago and New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. They're super, super expensive. And so we can't afford, not everybody can afford to live there. And not everybody wants to live there, right? Not everybody is a big city person. And so our audience has told us basically through their comments and through the episodes that we see get a lot of engagement, that these are the kinds of topics that they are interested in. And so what we one of the things that we have learned is that you more often than not, when we cover a topic on a podcast episode, we're looking at it at a 30,000 foot level. We're not going really deep. But when an episode does resonate with the audience, there's the invitation to take that topic and go deeper on that particular topic. So if you're want to know what you should be talking about, but it was kind of funny. Somebody asked us a long time ago, do you think you'll ever run out of topics to talk about? Because you're talking about a very niche topic, LGBTQ money. And I think at, at a certain point, we were probably like, well, maybe. But clearly now we understand there isn't a way to run out because your audience is always going to tell you, go deeper on this topic. We're interested on this. Do more of this. And it's important as podcasts hosts that you do listen to your audience. And you're not always going to get that directly through, hey, we'd like you to do an episode on this. So you need to figure out what ways to listen to your audience. There's a lot to unpack there. So so I want to just take a, a step back. So, So here, okay. 
one of the things that we hear all the time is, man, I always have to be coming up with brand new content. And you just said it perfectly, right? No, you don't. In fact, we as marketers, which you guys are brilliant marketers, repetition is really important to drive your message home. In fact, I had the honor of being on your guys' show, which I'm very, very grateful for. And once again, thank you very much for that opportunity. You know, there were certain things that you guys continued to reinforce because you wanted to stay on brand and your podcast has a as a persona. And we all have to keep that in mind. But I love the idea of diving deeper. And what we tell our clients is to do mini series, right? So so let's say the 50 states, right? Well, gosh, I mean, how many? That's 50 shows. Uh, I mean, really, you could take every freaking state and then you could move to the next level. But anyway, so I love all of that. I want to switch gears, though, a little bit because I wanted to start the show off today and talk about the podcast itself. I wanted to talk about the rubber meets the road. You guys are pros. You're doing this. You're very successful in doing it. But I also want to talk about the why, right? So <clears throat> I remember when I was a coach many, many years ago, I was working with an, an advisor. We were talking about finding a niche, right? And he said, this was many, many years ago. He said, Matt, I don't know if you, you know that I'm gay. And I was like, I didn't know. It's not a question I was going to ask. But I was like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that. <clears throat> and he's like, well, no, 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 I, I can't do that. And I just think back to that now. Now, that was probably 10, 12 years ago that some things have changed, some things have not. But let's talk about that. So you all, when you made this conscious decision, you knew that you were going to attract some and repel others. Let's talk a little bit about that, please. Absolutely. So the reason why I think that, for the reason why that we do it is, you know, lastly, we, David said we did that Motley Fool LGBTQ plus money study. Out of the 2005 people who responded, who were self-identified LGBTQ folks, 48% said that they had been discriminated against by somebody in the financial services industry. And 44% of them attribute their lack of financial security in part to that discrimination. So for a lot of LGBTQ people, going into a bank or a financial advisor's office is a, is a lot like the, our experience of growing up and having to go into the boys' locker room before gym. You were just going into the lion's den and y'all, you knew almost always you were going to get bullied or at least a comment was going to be thrown your way in some way, shape or form. And so many of us don't want to experience that. We just published the updated study this year, LGBTQ study just came out actually two days ago. And that number of 48% has now increased to 55%, which we think correlates to the increased negative rhetoric that we've been hearing in media and throughout the country against LGBTQ folks specifically. That's ultimately why we're doing it, because there is this chasm between the financial services industry and the LGBTQ plus community. And financial services has been great. They continue to support pride events and nonprofits all throughout the country for the LGBTQ plus community. Many of those firms have still shown solidarity this year despite the backlash that many other companies such as Bud and Target are getting for showing support to the community. So they've shown that solidarity, which is great, but there's still a disconnect. A lot of it probably stems from that sort of sense of discrimination. So somebody's got to help our community because our studies continue to also show that we're struggling much more financially relative to the general population. And we have fewer resources, especially as we age and, and get into our retirement or our, our final years. So that's that's ultimately why that we do that. I also add, just kind of go continue with some of the differences that we look at is when you look at most 
investing models and scenarios that financial advisors give, they're really designed for a straight couple. They're designed for a straight couple that has kids that will have some sort of familial support. And so there are a lot of financial advisors who are either intimidated or just lack the knowledge on know, knowing how to work with LGBT folks. And John and I are not financial advisors, but we will still need and want that knowledge to get out there. And so we share this not only from the perspective of we want our LGBTQ plus family to understand and know this, but we also want financial advisors who want to help serve the community understand what some of the nuances and needs are of the community. The fact that less than 20% of us are likely to have children that are going to be supporting us when we retire. More than half of us will likely end up being alone in retirement and not have a spouse that we will be living with in retirement. That those Just those two things alone dramatically change how you plan for retirement, how you plan for investing, what kinds of things, your kinds of conversations you're having with your clients when you're wanting to help them get to the point of the financial security that they want. So that's it isn't just us serving ourselves or us serving our community. We understand that there are other people out there that need to understand and know this knowledge. In part, kind of like what John said, is sometimes discrimination is labeled discrimination, but it's a lack of knowledge, really what's happening there, is I don't understand. I'm not maybe not intentionally discriminating, but it comes across as discrimination because I, I don't have the knowledge or I have some Im internal bias, some way of thinking that this is the way the LGBT community is. And we want to change that by opening up some of these topics to individuals in the financial services industry. It's Matt jumping in for a second. Are you an advisor who wants to go from being the seeker of clients to being sought after? Then influence is your answer. It's the only marketing that's left for today's advisors. If you want to know how much influence you have right now and how to get more of it, take our free five-minute test and get your influence scorecard. Just go to proudmouth.com to start. There are a lot of advisors who are probably craving that because, you know, you have 100 clients. There's a, about a 10%, 20% of them are probably going to be gay, right? Or going to fall into the LGBTQ plus population, right? And so, that's 20%. Holy crap. You don't know how to deal with 20% of your clients? I'll add to that. This will be very enticing for advisors. The co -op, Pride Co-op, two years ago, did a study and found that of the in the LGBTQ plus community, we have $1.4 trillion in purchasing power. And we're spending most of that on travel, dining out, I'm sorry, dining out, travel, entertainment, and personal hygiene. The disposable. It's disposable. We're not investing that. Now, if financial services industry could just get 1% of that, if you're an advisor who could tap into that $1.4 trillion, just think of your assets under management. I mean, it's a whole demographic that not only, not only needs, desperately needs your services, but it could fatten your paycheck. <laughs> well, huge, huge, huge opportunity. Right. And so so let, let's talk about that opportunity. So one of the neat things that that, have, that has happened in my time going to conferences and hanging out with my friends is I am introduced to a lot of people who are coming into financial services and they're basically and they're being hired by firms because most firms, especially the larger ones, have this DEI initiative 
but they're really not doing anything to make their more equitable, more inclusive, or more diverse. But the advisors that are hiring people in the LGBTQ plus population, they're killing it. Like, oh my God. Like their ramp up time is faster. They're they're getting to that 25, 30, 40 million in assets under management really, really fast. Um, so talk about that a little bit, because I, I know you guys have experience there too, please. All right. Sure. I'll give an, a little bit of an example of how desperate financial advisors are for the acceptance and support from their corporations. Part of the reason why John and I left Charles Schwab is because we were tired of what we call cascading homophobia. Those at the top have a very specific narrow agenda and are homophobic, and that rolls down to individuals who are not necessarily. For This is one of the main examples of how we know that this was happening at Charles Schwab, and from what we can tell is still happening at Charles Schwab. If there's a financial advisor out there who is at Charles Schwab and can point me in the direction that this is different, please let me know. But in 2012 and 2013, we were the heads of the chairs, co-chairs of the LGBT organization at Charles Schwab. And we had financial advisors out, queer financial advisors in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, and Miami all reach out to us and say, we are tired of putting this brochure in front of our clients that shows a straight white couple walking down the beach with their golden retriever. Yeah. Can you please give us something that aligns with the clients that we're working with, right? We go in and we work with a lesbian couple. We go and we work with a gay couple. We go and we work with someone who's trans. We want to see something that at least reflects some appearance of our community, right? And Charles Schwab, for two years, told us no, that they wouldn't create that kind of content for their financial advisors. So your financial advisors are out there saying, we want to sell to our community, but you are literally handcuffing us because these people see this material and they're like, well, clearly the only people you care about are straight, rich, straight, white couples. And so that is, I think that's one of the things that kind of is a little frustrating for us, but what what it does point out is that there are financial advisors who understand how to connect with the people that they want to connect with, right? They want to connect with these individuals. And people in our community are desperate for individuals who are sitting across the table to understand what kind of financial planning, fi family planning, estate planning that works for them. And preferably somebody who looks like them, right? To a certain degree, it looks like them or comes from their community. And so that, I think that's what, one of the reasons why it's so important. One, one of somebody who's become a fast friend of mine, her LinkedIn title is that lesbian financial planner, right? <laughs> and, and I love Laura, right? And I, I know actually she's the one who introduced me to you guys, by, by the way. But anyway, the reason why I love that is because, and I've talked to her about her practice. So I was a practice management consultant for many years. I wanted to know the nuts and bolts of her practice. And she's like, Matt, I don't prospect. I don't need to. I'm that lesbian financial planner. And it, but now you guys know this because you know her. She did that a long time ago. Like she was, that was, she has not kept that quiet. And, you know, at the beginning, she said it was tough. Any niche marketing is tough at the beginning, right? But what she has built is crazy awesome. We just launched a podcast called the Rainbow Bowl Podcast. It's a, it's a friend of ours. Well, he's a friend of ours now who lives in Chicago and he does multi-generational wealth transfer issues 
with LGBTQ plus either family members or the matriarch, so or patriarch are gay, right? And his podcast is brilliant, right? And he said the same thing. He's like, look, here's the deal. It was tough, you know, really putting my foot out there or putting my neck out there is a better way to say that. But now when you put the time in any sort of niche, especially, you know, when representation is such a big component, it, you know, that that's what that's what you're saying, right? Those those, those horrible websites and those terrible brochures of the old white people holding hands walking down the beach is not representative of America anymore. And we need to have lots of different opportunities. And again, your advisors at, at Schwab were saying, this isn't us. Like this doesn't, yeah. And, and when you don't see yourself, which as a straight white guy, I see myself everywhere. Right. And I think about that often. I'm like, oh, there's another there's a Juneteenth billboard, by the way. This is an example. A Juneteenth billboard with two white people on it. Juneteenth. Yeah. That was, somebody decided that was where is that? Yeah, it was in the South, but whatever. We don't have to go there. Oh, my. but anyway. All right. For advisors who want to start a podcast, OK, who want to use this to educate the general public and also as a way to sell their expertise, because that's what we believe you can do with a podcast. What are some of the things that you wish you would have done besides maybe not using Blab or Trump? <laughs> but what are some things that you guys wish you would have known when you started? I think one of the earliest things that I would have done is I would have started to encourage folks who listen to our podcast to get onto our email list early, early on. Many people forget that the, you know, when you're when you're when you have a podcast, your podcast needs to have its calls call to action. What it is it that I you want me as a listener, what do you want me to do? And for most of us, whether we're in the financial services industry or not, and we have a podcast, we want to be able to typically provide some sort of product or service to those individuals, right? And it's really hard to get somebody to stop while they're listening, especially if they're driving in their car, right? Yeah. To stop while they're listening and to actually take some sort of action. But if you have their email address, you can encourage them to take action all the time. It's whether that action is go listen to this particular episode or whether that action is, hey, I've got a new service or a new product coming out. Please check it out. Or I am doing a survey about my listeners. There's all sorts of ways that you can actually create that relationship with your listeners when you have that email list. And the other nice thing is, is that you can use that as a way to encourage them to also encourage other people they know to listen to your podcast. I'll say that I think I wish we would have done a little bit more research on actually how to start a podcast. I don't want to encourage people to sacrifice the good for the great and like you have to have everything to be absolutely perfect before you even launch. But we didn't really do a whole lot of research to actually create a solid podcast. So we kind of floundered for the first several months. Today, you could probably go to YouTube and find like expert pro advice on how to at least get started. So you don't even have to invest any money in getting that kind of education. But I wish we would have been a little bit more strategic with how we actually officially launched. I will also add that one of the things that we did not do that we highly advise folks to do these days is make sure you have, before you launch, have a bank of episodes that you can publish 
simultaneously. You're going to want to come up with a repetition. We do twice a week now. Originally, it was once a week. Do whatever is is within your scope that you can actually manage doing and that you can be consistent with so that your audience knows what to expect from you. Don't be inconsistent because then you'll be able to get, get a rhythm with your audience. But to launch, have anywhere from five to 10 episodes to publish initially because typically when people listen, they'll binge a couple episodes back to back. So you want to give them that opportunity. And then simultaneously, that'll help you boost higher in Apple's algorithms. If people are suddenly all of a sudden downloading 10 episodes at one time, because that's all you have available, and that'll help you rank better in your niche. Yeah, that's a hack that we do with all most of our clients that we want three to five episodes in the can before we go ahead and launch. So we do that hard launch. And by the way, they... You, so. I wish that we had what we built for you guys. So we have something called the Pod Rocket Academy. It's free. Free. Nice. All of that right. stuff that you need to know, podcasting 101, bam, everything. The equipment to syndication to how to plan your show. It's all there and it's it's free. And I love that. So we have something called the perfect podcasting formula. It's storytelling, education, entertainment, call to action. That call to action is where most people fall down, yeah. right? Well, I don't want to sell anything. Listen, okay, then tell them to... Download your freaking white paper or right. email me or give me, I mean, whatever, I don't care, but you ha you're you absolutely right. It's the principle of reciprocity that Dr. Robert Cialdini talked about, right? I give you great information for 27 to 30 minutes. It's okay for me to ask you for something. It's okay. Right. Even if it's just their email address. That's it? Yeah. All right, guys, here's my favorite question. What should I have asked you guys that I didn't? I'll say this. I think one of the things, if you're looking for your podcast to be an income stream for you, yeah. I would encourage you to know, understand that you need to have most likely, at, unless you come out screaming out of the gate and you all of a sudden get a million downloads in your first couple of weeks, plan on it taking at least a year, a year and a half before you f can monetize. You need to show advertisers, you need to show corporate sponsors that you have one, that you have staying power, right? I don't know how many, especially I see this with LGBT podcasts, but I'm sure it's the same with others. I don't know how many podcasts I see are out there that have five, seven, 12 episodes, or they have five episodes and they're all a week apart. And then they have an episode that's a month later. And then they have an episode that's two months later. And then they have, then they have three that are a week apart. You need to show what these advertisers want is they want to know your number of downloads, your consistency, that you have staying power, that you have a commitment here, right? Nobody wants to give the ball to somebody who isn't going to carry it over the goal line. And that's what they really want. So if you want to monetize, remember, it's going to take you some time and then also understand what it what is it that you're how you want to monetize. If you're looking to monetize with corporate sponsors, are you looking to monetize with your own products? Are you looking to monetize by pitching other people's products or having people come on the podcast and you charging them to be on your podcast? There's lots of different ways to make money with a podcast. Figure out which ones are you're comfortable with. Pick that and then follow that path. I think I would add, what made you think you had anything unique to say? And I would say, because I think for a lot of, I'm thinking, you know, think about your, your audience and, and advisors who would probably feel like there's only so much that I can say, you know, between CNBC, Bloomberg, New York Times, like everything's being said, what am I going to say? And then on top of that, they probably have, I'm assuming, I'm um, having a compliance background. They probably have some restrictions with their compliance organization or supervisors um, about what they can say and how, how, how far they can take things. So it kind of limits their voice a little bit. 
But I would simply add that whatever it is that you're talking about, even if the advisor in the office next to you is, is, has a podcast, you're going to say things differently. You're going to have a slightly unique perspective. People are going to resonate with your personality, your humor, whatever people, why people resonate with you as a friend. That's going to be why people resonate with you as a financial advisor who has a podcast that maybe not be too dissimilar to your colleague who's sitting next door to you. Um, so just don't let that be something that, that that deters you from launching your own podcast. Yeah, people buy you, right? And especially in the world of what we refer to as expertise marketing, th there are all sorts of experts out there. They want to find one that they connect with, that they know, like, and trust. And what our goal is and what your goal is, is to do that at scale, right? So I am sure you guys go places and people walk up to you and they're like, oh my God, I know you. And they want to shake your hand or give you hugs and stuff like that, right? Um, and you've never met them before ever, but they have such a deep connection that they feel that they have to you because this is such a magnificently intimate medium that people do in their quiet time. Like, I, I can't stress that enough. When people listen to podcasts, it's when they're cooking dinner, when they're exercising, when they're driving to work, right? Or they're getting ready in the morning, yeah. right? And so what you're being invited into very personal time for people they're opting into your marketing and that's what people want. People don't want to be sold to anymore. They want to buy from you. And it, you need to give them that relationship opportunity to build. Well, David, John, you guys, I love you guys. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Congratulations on you guys killing the show. Your numbers are amazing. Your content's fantastic. Thank you for all of the wonderful advice. If anybody does want to reach out and find out more, where should they go? Uh, we're obviously with the Queer Money Podcast and on social media, we're either a Queer Money Podcast or a Queer Money Pod, whatever the number of letters we're allowed to have. <laughs> <laughs> and we will make sure that we have links to your show. So guys, thank you very, very much. And everybody, listen, you know, some of the things that you heard today, we solve for all of you for free. Just go to podrocketacademy.com and it'll make it so that you can start your show in a compliant manner with all of the things that we have heard from all of our friends are the issues and so we made it so that we solved those problems for you. All right, guys, thank you very much. And uh, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the PodRocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be. Yeah.